I always like to do I always like to do my introductions. This is a wonderful, very exciting one for us. Jenny Lewis Holmes. Jenny Holmes, but to me Jenny Go. Lewis forever. And I have told the story like we so Jenny was my intern a long time ago when I was a brand new lawyer and she was in college. And I have talked about you so many times that you don't even know. And what I tell everyone is, if you have the chance to hire a swimmer, hire a swimmer. Uh, so for those of you, the, the fun fact about Jenny is she is a Division One swimmer at the University of Virginia, a nationally known high school champion swimmer, ACC champion, had all the rings. And uh, so I was a young lawyer considered myself to be very hardworking, um, diligent, wanted to be a good attorney. And Jenny was my intern one summer when she was an undergrad going into her senior year. And we would get to work at like 8.30 in the morning, which is kind of early for lawyers, or 8. And I would walk into my office. She was, she was working for free as an intern at the DA's office. And I would walk into my office, and there would be a pile of papers. And Jenny would have like this little drip of sweat coming down her, her face. It wasn't sweat. It was probably yeah. chlorine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I would be like, what are you doing here so early? And she would say, I already swam five miles. Oh, and, my gosh. And she would be up at five. And, and her goal for the whole summer was to swim miles a day in hopes of getting one-tenth of one second faster. Wow. And that is dedication. dedication. That is the level of somebody who will devote their whole life and summer for a tenth of a second mm -hmm. a year from now. That's um, that's why I always tell people hire a swimmer. <laughs> so so it, it, you probably don't know that, but um, it was something that I'll never forget. And uh, so she works at Nixon now. She's a really successful attorney, and we're going to talk all about that today. But I will tell you, I also gave the best recommendation ever for Jenny when she went to, so they were going to hire her. And this guy from Nixon, I think it was Kevin Saunders, called me up on the phone and says, hey, we're thinking about hiring this person. She says, you're a reference. And I said, if you don't hire her, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you this. And I told him about the swimming thing. And obviously it worked out because she's there. She's still there and she's doing great things. But that's, uh, that's how we know Jenny. Wait, real quick, can you just make sure that's plugged in on the side? Do you see that on the computer? Just make sure it's in. Okay, yeah. Thank yes. you. If you just, just turn it, it should be like. It should be on. It yes, just okay. Recording. It was more the cord that was making me nervous. Oh. <laughs> so that one it's, out. it's good. Does it All need right. to be charging? No, that's fine. Okay. I should have enough charge. Okay. So that's Jenny. That's the full intro. Well, what you don't know, there's the other half to the piece is that working with you that summer is what solidified me choosing to go to law school. Law school. Because Syracuse to Syracuse. Syracuse, yes. Oh. It was between doing what most history American government grads do at UVA and go to D.C. or uh, go to law school. So working in the days, I wouldn't be a lawyer if it yep. wasn't for that and, summer. And she knew Hayden, and yep. she knew wow. all, the, all the boys, all, all, the, good, all the good guys good ones. <laughs> when, when they were um, baby lawyers. And yes. we were, um, I mean, it was a great time. We were working really hard. We were trying to do what was right. We had, we had some good bosses and... Mm -hmm. Maddie Rich was our boss, and we were going out trying to get the bad guys and let the good guys go free. That was the, the thing. So, I mean, it was pretty probably cool experience for somebody in undergrad. No, I remember coming home. I was living with my parents that summer and being like, I got to sit at the table with Bob today. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and they were like, court. you were allowed to do that? Yeah, that was. Oh. I remember that. That it was. I was in city court, and we were with Judge Elliott, uh -huh. and, and and I I told the judge, Judge Elliott, great guy, and how hard 
she was working and and you know I think it was kind of like a not a lot going on mm-hmm. and it was his idea actually the judge it, it, it's like those small things exactly that some you know Judge Elliott been a judge for a long time really experienced and just to think of hey what can I do to help this person out it's not about exactly. me it's exactly. about this person who devoted their summer and like, hey, I got to sit at a table, and now you're going to be a lawyer for your whole career. Yeah, but, I mean, that kind of stuff stays with you. And now when we have our summer interns, I try to do the same thing. Like, if I'm meeting with a client in person or even a phone call, having the summer intern sit with you for that call and introduce them, those right. little things just go such a long way, and I think people don't realize it. So tell us a little, I mean, about what you're doing right now. We know you're at Nixon and cybersecurity, but what does that, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> Good question. Um, so I am the deputy leader of the practice group at Nixon, the cybersecurity and privacy team. Um, and really that practice runs a really large range. So the bulk of my work and what I like doing best is the advisory and compliance piece. So, you know, right now in the U.S., um, there's no overarching privacy law. There's, you know, state laws, there are industry-specific laws at the federal level. Um, And so really helping companies that span across all of the states figure out how to comply with all of these different laws Um, but still be able to function as a business. So that's the piece that I really like. Um, But the other half of that is the data breach response, because we know that's happening more and more. Um, And again, that's a state-level analysis, so figuring out all the different requirements by state um, and helping them navigate the notification process, um, the public reputation uh, perspective. So just data breach responses. Somebody hacks Facebook, gets 500 million accounts. Mm-hmm. That's a data breach? That's a data breach. But it can even be smaller or it could be, you know, so it can be, um, you know, we had an employee up and quit and take a whole customer list with them or, you know, a small hack of just, you know, a lot of states if one person's information is taken or even accessed or viewed, that's considered a breach. So what's the rule about former employees taking intellectual property? When they leave well, that's all trade secrets non-compete that's that's not my lane mm. the so are you helping companies when this happens or like what like so i'm trying to help them set up good programs so okay. that when this happens because at this point like it's no longer an if they're going to okay. get breached at mm-hmm. some point Um, So I'm trying to help companies set up incident response plans or just information security policies that they can rely on when the breach happens. Um, You know, we think that it's a lot better look to the public if we can say we had all of these plans in place and this still happened. Right. Um, You know, versus saying like, oh, we're flying by the seat of our pants Mm -hmm. and now we don't know what to do. So um, and it also helps, too, because if they have the plans in place ahead of time, when the breach happens, we can respond a lot quicker versus, you know, the breach notifications you get that say like, oh, we were breached in 2020 and you're getting this letter now. And right. then you get angry. Right. You're like, well, it took so long. Right. And your information's been out there for two oh, years. Yeah. So, yeah. And sometimes it's easier to solve a problem when the problem is not so emergent, right? Exactly. And whoever yells the loudest wins in the emergency scenario. But if we think about it ahead of time, maybe we're a little smarter. Yes. And that's one of the big pieces is I like to 
like develop the team of who's going to be the decision makers ahead of time so that it's not just the loudest person in the room. Mm -hmm. So so are there things that are per, like you can prevent from this happening? I mean, you just said it's inevitable, but are there things that people can do to at least sure be prepared? Um, yeah. <laughs> so employee training, I think, is the biggest piece because your employees can be like your biggest line of defense or they can be the ones leaving the gate open to or let anybody. They can anybody. be the ones doing it. Well, that too. But I, we don't see that as much as, you know, somebody's having their password be ABC123 um, or clicking on the link in the email that's clearly spoofed. Right. Um, so, you know, at Nixon, we get this email. It's usually like this time of year, and I probably shouldn't be sharing their secrets, but one of the training emails that we get is like, it would come to my Nixon email, it would say, it would look like it's from Amazon or UPS, and it would say like, your package is delayed, click here to find out when you'll get it. And for hackers, we'll do something like that, and it will look like real. real. Yeah. And they're getting really good at it. Um, and you click on it, and then they have access, which is crazy that it could just be one click. Right. I mean, that I think that happened to my friend on Instagram. Like, she was in the airport, and she got a text from something, and she accidentally clicked the link. And before she could even get out of it, her Instagram was then, like, shut down, like, taken away. She couldn't fight with the hacker to get the password back. Yeah, so. but that's the crazy part is that the cybercrime is happening to individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, people are getting the scams in their emails. Um, and, you know, if you get something to your Gmail, like, you're not as on guard as when you're at work, too. So, you know, it's not just companies that are victims. It's the individuals, too. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you know this, but is there any tells before a cyber attack comes? Like, if it's a company in their database, like, glitches or, like, weird... So that certainly could be an indicator. I think a lot of times there isn't any, though. Yeah. The, like the bigger, the bigger ones. Um, but I'm assuming that's part of the the plan. Also, is to like the attack takes can be ongoing for a long time. Sure. So you want to like catch it before these, we're at the 500 million yeah, mark, like maybe at the first one million. These hackers can be super sophisticated too, and they're patient. Um, you know, one of the ones we're seeing a lot is somebody will get into like the company email and have access to the CFO's email inbox and will just be waiting for something to come in with like invoice or, you know, a lot of times what they're doing, this is a big one, it's email fraud, is they are, they being the hackers, um, will watch how like a CFO or the finance department is sending out emails uh, to get their bills paid. And then the hacker will follow that format and say, oh, we changed our wiring instructions or our bank account is changed. So send it here. Thanks. And then unknowing they do. You know, consumers will yes. send the money and then it's just gone. Um, we're seeing that one. We get called about that type of breach like at least two or three times a month now. Wow. And then what's your job? Don't do that. <laughs> Well, you know, there's there's two things. Depending on when we get that call, we can try to get the money back. If it's, we say, like, if it's within 24 to 48 hours, then we can work with the banks. But that's that's hard for them mm -hmm. to realize it in 24 to 48 hours, especially if they have, like, 30 days to pay. They're not finding out that they didn't actually pay yeah. for that 30 days. And the money is long gone. Bank account is cleared and closed at that point. Um 
but really it's, you know, there's not a lot of law on who's responsible here. You know, so we go back to that tenant of who was in the best position to stop it. Um, and so you have to look at things like how long was the relationship between the parties? Like, should they have known that this didn't actually come from the company? Um, you know, if the spelling was really off or if the email, if it was a different email, should they have known? Um, but yeah, it's really a new area. We have a case in litigation over this, um, over who should pay. How much money? A lot about. This was actually a smaller one. This was only about 200000 But our client was like, I already paid. I would rather pay you to litigate this than to pay them again. Yeah. So. So you're, who's your, like, kind of target client? Who's the person who should be calling you? So we really span industries. That's, like, the crazy part about cybersecurity and privacy is every company is collecting people's information, even if they say they're not. If they have one employee, they're collecting people's information. Um, you know, one customer, you're collecting information. If you have a website, chances are you're using cookies or Google Analytics, and that's all considered right. personal information under these laws. Um, so, you know, in terms of industry, any industry will take. Um, you know, right now we have a big focus on healthcare. Um, Healthcare organizations were the most targeted over the past year. Why? Because they have a ton of personal information, and it's, like, the most devastating, too. So if there's a ransomware attack and, you know, the entire systems are shut down, it's literally, not even hyperbole to say this, but it's literally life or death. And so hospital systems are quicker to pay the ransom. Um, hospitals or healthcare organizations, you know, generally speaking, don't have the same amount of resources to put towards cybersecurity, so sometimes it's easier to get in. Um, but, you know, we saw one report recently where it was like the average data breach for a healthcare organization in the U.S. cost over $10 million, and like the next industry, it costs $4 million. So they're just being targeted at such high rates. And is that the is that usually the play of the high-level hacker is shut it down and then you have to pay us to get it back? Mm-hmm. Yes. Who negotiates the Who negotiates the ransom? That we do. I do not do that. Can you imagine me on the phone with like? Uh, no, I want to do this. This, is, <laughs> yeah. this. this you need me. Well, so um, there are forensic investigation firms that this is what they do. Um, I presented uh, at a, I spoke on a panel at the Rochester Security Summit with someone who does this, and he was talking about one of the, you know, cyber criminal organizations. Well, it's and, like hostage negotiation. It, it's yeah. exactly what it is. It, no, exactly. But he, you know, this one cyber crime group that was based in Ukraine and Russia, he said that it was like a legit employer, an organization. They had an HR department and they like had employees and satellite offices and- Set up a Zoom, you could, yeah. uh, we could negotiate <laughs> next Thursday at two. Yeah, My I gosh. mean, it's like, yeah, it's crazy. And then, you know, sometimes we get the, most of the time we get the FBI involved too mm-hmm. because they keep tabs on it and they know like the reputations and, I remember we were doing a ransomware attack and we were talking to the FBI and I named, you know, we knew the name of who the cyber group was. And the FBI was like, oh yeah, they're reputable. And I remember being like, wait, the cyber crime group is reputable? And he was like, well, if you pay, they won't use your data. Because there's always the chance too that you pay, they give you access back to your systems, but they still have all your data. Or they keep access to your system. I don't know if I should ask this on this 
But does the FBI help with the negotiations? Yes, they They're, can. Yep. So, so one of the guys that I have you ever heard of Chris Voss? He's a guy who teaches negotiation. He was a lead hostage negotiator for the FBI. Okay. If you haven't read his book, for the people who are listening, um, Never Split the Difference is his book. It's really great, like, negotiation book. And that might the, be helpful with my two-year-old. That's, uh, yeah, well. <laughs> that <can> too. <laughs> I've seen him speak a couple of times. He's really, really good. And I know they. it's not really willy-nilly what the uh, FBI negotiations <laughs> are doing. Well, if you can convince a two-year-old, you can probably convince I mean, anyone. I mean. <laughs> have, have you convinced them yet, the two-year-old? The two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, he went into daycare with his book instead of the stuffed animal, so we oh. called that a win. Oh, but. good. <laughs> um, so do you work when a company comes to you and they've now been hacked and you have to help them? Do you work with them on a preventative plan after the fact. So do you work with other cybersecurity teams that aren't, a, it doesn't have to do with law, but just the protection aspect of yeah, it? Yeah, so really when a data breach happens, like we have to very quickly put together, we call it a cross-functional team. So it's, you know, the decision makers at the company. Um, then we always have to do a third-party forensic investigation firm um, that really goes in there and makes sure that the hacker, well, one, they can determine what the hacker accessed, um, but then also making sure that the hacker is out. Mm -hmm. um, that team can usually determine, like, points of entry or other weaknesses and then make recommendations for how to, you know, seal those up. And we always recommend a third-party team, even if this company has the most sophisticated IT department or information security department, just, you know, optics saying we hired this third-party completely independent um, is really good. Um, so yeah, they they always make recommendations, and we always you know try to do like a post mortem mm -hmm. after the breach. Yeah, you know, what can we fix to do better? Well, that's just I mean. So the people who call you at that point are they typically sorry? I'm interested. <laughs> okay, well, whatever. You get fast. This is this is she it is King Law. <laughs> What's my name? Oh. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Go ahead. I think it's on the wall. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say you typically work with corporations or companies, but what about individuals? Like if they get their social media gets hacked, they're mm -hmm. an influencer, let's say. They have Which is devastating. Yeah. They yes. have a million followers or they get fake accounts mm -hmm. put in their name and all this stuff. Do you work with that or what do you, I mean, do you see that? Or? We certainly see that happening. Um, and you know, through Nixon, we have contacts at a lot of the social media places that we can help them. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot they can do if that happens. Um, and in terms of just like the average Joe Schmo walking down the street who had their identity stolen, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not really legal advice, but I had my identity stolen in 2017. Um, I just Scary. randomly started getting credit cards sent oh to my, my house of stores that I never go to. And um, just that whole process, yeah. is, it's scary. Um, you wonder like how it happened because a lot of the cards were coming with my name misspelled too oh. so you're like shouldn't there have been some sort of check filter yeah. yeah um you know so much time goes into working with the bank to make sure that like i'm not responsible for these charges um i had to freeze my credit so that the cards would stop coming mm -hmm. so um, you're at this point in 2017 you're a data security yeah. lawyer yes and you're data is stolen. Yes, so, which is... Okay. So tell the people when their data gets stolen or their... What do you do? Like, just 
walk the people who are listening, walk them through, like, this yes. happens to you. Yes. What do you do? Pour yourself a really big glass of wine. <laughs> Have yourself a good cry. <laughs> yeah. And then, honestly, I mean, the cards start coming in, the credit cards, and you just call, like, I was just calling the numbers and contesting all the charges, and, like, one was the children's place, and I remember being on the phone with their customer service and being like, I don't have children. <laughs> like, I am not. Um, I filed a police report, which I felt awful using a police officer's time because I know they're not going to find the person that did mm -hmm. this, but, um, you know, you have to have that right. in order to, like, contest some of the charges because while some of the companies were really great with, saying, okay, yep, no worries, you know, credit card's canceled, you aren't responsible for this. Others did actually require me to file a police report and send that in. Um, my credit took a huge dip. I ended up freezing my credit. So, like, in that time, I couldn't open any new credit cards or take out any new loans. Um, and then actually went to buy a car three years later and had forgotten that I had frozen my credit. So that was fun. Uh, you know, and you can put a lot of alerts. If you go to the websites of the three credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion, yeah. you know, you can put freezes um, or alerts, fraud alerts on all your credit. And it just adds an extra step um, before someone opens a credit card. So I always recommend, like, all my family now has the fraud alerts on their credit. Um, and so if they were to open a credit card, they get called and they have to answer extra questions. Um, so that's just like another, it's like that multi-factor authentication when you, on your bank accounts. Yeah. Criminals are usually going for the easy target. Yes. Unless a CEO is a really good target, so they might be a little more mm -hmm. patient. But for, for most of the people out there, like yeah. that extra step could be the difference between them getting you or somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's just, I mean, that's like financial. Mm -hmm. There's the whole aspect of just feeling like. Violated. Violated. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I've had not anyone hack my Instagram, but they've taken my photos mm -hmm. and made new accounts saying that I was doing this crazy stuff that I wasn't doing. Yeah. And there's nothing that I can do. In Instagram, like I, people would message me and be like, are you doing this? And I'm like, no, this isn't me. Mm -hmm. Report it. But then nothing happens. Yeah. Like 50 people will report it and the account will not be taken down. So it's kind of like there's nothing anyone can do. And that's mm -hmm. really scary because that's your reputation. Yeah. And I think like the individual average consumer is becoming a lot more aware of just how much of their personal information is out on the web. Um, and you know, we want the convenience of being able to online shop and have your credit card already filled in when you go to checkout. Right. Or I hate having to put it in my phone. It <laughs> yeah. is the most annoying thing. Or like having <laughs> to type in your password or have a different password for every single account. Like we want the convenience of having it auto populate. But we also are really in tune now to our personal information and the fact that that has value. Right. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of consumers are now much more cognizant of what companies are doing with their data mm -hmm. um, and, like, how it can be monetized. Um, this time of year is, like, one of my favorite times to talk about a streaming platform that we all probably know and love where we all listen to all our music and yes. our podcasts. Mm -hmm. Spotify? Yes. Yeah and how they do the Spotify wrapped at the mm -hmm. end of the year. And everybody jokes about it, but like think about how much information they are collecting. So my, we'll, take, we'll take me as an example. Spotify rap, my top five was a mix of, and I'll admit this, I have no shame. It was a mix of Taylor Swift and Encanto, <laughs> right? So you're gonna know from that that I am likely a millennial woman 
with a small child. Mm-hmm. Then you take the podcast that I listen to, and you're like, oh, she's a true crime junkie. Okay. You probably can tell my political leanings from the podcasts I listen to. And they're piecing together all this information to be able to do targeted advertising. Mm-hmm. Have you read the term? Are you on TikTok? No, I'm not have, that cool. Have you read the terms of TikTok? I haven't. Well, you should read it. Everybody should read. Everybody who's on TikTok should read the terms. They, they are monitoring your IP addresses, the IP mm-hmm. addresses you sign on to, the keystrokes that you use, yep. who you contact, when you contact them, what time zone you're in, when you travel, mm-hmm. where you travel, where you spend. I mean, it's like, I like TikTok, but I don't know how much I like. I don't know if I like it this much. Yeah, it's like when you like are talking to a friend and then and you're talking about like a place that they shopped over the weekend. Yeah. And right. then you're starting to get ads for it. Right. Or I've learned even that one of my best friends, she shops at Express a lot. Mm-hmm. And I started getting ads for Express. And I was like, I never shop at yeah. Express. But they know that I'm friends with her. And her phone tracks her in Express. And so then I'm getting the ads yeah. as well. Which it's I then send to her. And I'm like, oh, you should get this. But. Right. Right. I, yeah. Sometimes it's helpful. Yeah. But, <laughs> but know, also it's, it's, creepy. It's creepy. Um, and you talk about, like, your keystrokes. One of the things that I find so crazy is that they can, even if you fill in a form on a website and then are like, no, actually, no, I don't want to give them my phone number. Like, they can see that. Really? I mean, it's just. Oh, my gosh. Or you see, like, when you get the emails, like, oh, you left something in your cart. Like, that always creeps me out. Just how much they're watching you. And then, you know, I think customers or consumers are becoming more attuned to companies are doing a lot more with that information than just fulfilling your order or, you know, right. it's making almost, TikTok work, you know? Yeah, it's just almost known that if you give your information at all to anyone, it's mm-hmm. just going to be out there. Yep, yep. And I think most of our information already is. Right. I think if you have a cell phone. Your information's out there, yeah. especially if you have an iPhone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You just say that because you don't. (laughs) Don't, uh, Green bubbles. Don't don't persecute against me. Green text. Awful. (laughs) But that's another another podcast episode. (laughs) Persecution at its high. The the highest level of racism in the United States right now is against people (laughs) with green 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 text messages. Yeah. Well, now well, you can just say it's because of the security. You should get an iPhone. We wouldn't have this conversation. I don't know, I don't know <laughs> why Apple persecutes against people like me. Well, yeah. It, yeah, it makes it hard to be compatible. If I want to send you a video in a group, it becomes mm. this little mini thing. Yep. And yeah, so. But, uh, so legally, how do you protect people then? Like, what is what does a procedure look like to you? Like, how are you... On the legal end of it, how? So I work. I guess I don't understand what exactly <laughs> yeah. how you. So I work with it. a lot of companies that want to collect this information. It's valuable to them, and not ne- they're not necessarily doing anything nefarious with it. Like mm-hmm. sometimes they well, just. Well, if it's healthcare companies, they have they to have, have to. your data. Yes. That yes. They can't serve exactly. you if they don't know your date of birth. They have mm-hmm. to or even like e-commerce, you know, yeah. they want to get to know their customers. I mean, they're not necessarily selling all of their the data. It's not vindictive, right? Yeah. Exactly, but they do have to collect it, and so there's a 
a lot of laws in place. And I think one of the issues in the U.S. is that there are almost like too many laws in place because it's at a state level right now um, or an industry level to protect the data. Um, so when I'm working with these companies, you know, it's really about, you know, one, figuring out what data they're collecting and why, making sure we have a purpose for all of that data. Um, but then looking at the scope of the laws out there and figuring out how they can still collect what they want to collect, but in a manner where they're going to comply with these laws. And that often looks like making sure they have the website privacy policy. Um, I may not have read TikTok's terms, but I do like to read a good privacy <laughs> policy. Um, You'll be reading that tonight. <laughs> um, or like, you know, I'm sure everybody has been annoyed with that cookie banner that I pops up yeah. that you just hit accept, but that's the result of a law. It was actually right. a law in Europe that has sort of moved its way over here. What does the cookie, accepting the cookies mean? They're tracking you. Okay. But if but you don't let you, them, then you can't go forward. Exactly. <laughs> but sometimes you can go forward. If you, you can, but it's, then it keeps popping But it's up. also that convenience factor. So, yes. like, if you want your cart to be there when you come back to the website the next day, like, you have to have the cookies turned on. Right. So. Yeah. It's weighing that convenience. I just don't like it when they pop up so often that it's almost like you have to accept if mm -hmm. you want to continue that. Or like aggressively in the middle. Right. Like just do nicely at the bottom. But I'm just trying to read an article. <laughs> <laughs> but there are also laws that are coming out, these comprehensive privacy laws. And I think this is really crazy if we frame it as in we didn't have these rights to our data before. So California was the first. It followed the EU. Rights for an individual consumer to say, I wanna know what data this company has on me. Like, I wanna be able to look at what you have on me. I wanna be able to correct it. I wanna be able to delete it. And to think that like, we didn't have that right before. Do we have that now? Not as New Yorkers. So mm -hmm. California does. Uh, January 1st, for, or yes, January 1st, Virginia will. And then later throughout 2023, Colorado, Connecticut, and Utah. And as a so would you call yourself a data security attorney or data protection attorney? Like what's your tell me your I title. Call it, I call it a privacy attorney. So as a privacy attorney, what your personal opinion mm -hmm. is should we have that law in New York? Um I, I mean I do think we should. Um, you know, and a lot of companies that are across all of the states are just giving people these rights regardless, just because it's an efficiency thing to rather than figure out what state this person is in. Um, you know, New York has the SHIELD Act, which is much more on the security side of it, you know, focusing on how companies protect the data versus the privacy side. So that's like a distinction I don't think a lot of people appreciate is that there's privacy. There are privacy laws which govern how you can access your own data or govern like the notices and the disclosure and the transparencies companies have to give before they collect information. And then there's the security side that says, you know, uh, prescribes security measures like encryption or multi-factor authentication or, you know, mandating employee training. So New York has that security side, um, but they don't have the privacy piece yet. But I mean, what do you, I mean, more so than should New York have it like to protect individuals' privacy? I think it's just be getting getting to be crazy for companies who are across the United States and are, you know, worried that they're going to be fifty different state laws. Mm -hmm. And so, your opinion as an attorney is this should be federal law so that you 
it's more efficient, it's more as fair. An, as an advocate for my clients, I think there should be a federal law. As somebody trying to maintain a busy workload, <laughs> the individual state God, laws are fine. How about as like a member of the community of Rochester, New York for your friends and family? Like what makes sense just for people, people that are listening or people? The consumer. People yeah, I think here. for the consumer, these laws are gritty. Um, but you have but, to. But does it make more sense to have state laws or federal law? I think federal. Right. Likely, because it will encompass more of the companies you work with. And then the, it's easier for the companies to comply. They know what they have to and do. And so they might comply better. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not such a, a drain on their resources, too. It's expensive to run, you know, a compliant privacy and security program at a company. It's a cost of doing business, but it definitely takes resources. Or say if you're like a small manufacturing company in the state of Illinois, you produce <laughs> some product, whatever it is, a hat. You sell it at Dick's. Mm -hmm. All, it's a 50 state, it, your product is sold in 50 states, but you locate, you live in one state. Mm -hmm. Do you have to comply in all the states or you comply where you live? So that is one of the interesting and also like hard things to wrap your head around with privacy laws is that it's not the state where the company is, it's where the individual consumer is. So, so, so a, if you're selling your product in, in 50 California, states? In California, yes. But with each of these privacy laws, there are thresholds. So for California, for example, since that's the leading one, there's um, an annual revenue threshold there's three three different thresholds. You only have to meet one. So it's if in the past 12 months you've had annual gross revenue of $25 million, um, if you've collected, bought, received, somehow obtained the personal information of 50,000 or more California residents, mm -hmm. or if you get 50% or more of your revenue from selling personal information. So you have to meet okay. one of those three okay. thresholds. So that does narrow it out. That you know keeps the mom and pops out. Okay. Um, but it still does cover a lot, and it can cover companies that have no physical presence in California. But most companies were used to that sort of like long arm reach because yeah. Europe in 2018 came out with their uh, general data protection regulation, the GDPR, um, and that had no thresholds. And if you collected the personal information of one EU resident, even if you were you know, King Law in Rochester, New York, and you had somebody fill in a form on your website. Which we do, by the way. <laughs> the I think EU. we're in violation <laughs> because we have people for Camp Lejeune who call us from, they were stationed okay. at Camp Lejeune. They now live in Europe. They're stationed there, maybe. They call us. So, Would they have to be a resident? What if they're a U.S. resident living in the EU? It's actually physical. So if I were to travel to Paris and give my oh. information to you know, any company while I am in Paris, that information is covered by the GDPR. Wow. We're in violation. I, I, I plead can, guilty. I, I think we have one. We have as long as, I mean, there are nuances, like <laughs> if you're targeting or, you know, the volume, you know, we can, I think it's low risk. I shouldn't go on record saying that though, but. We're going to take We're going to need a consultation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I just got a new client. Uh, uh, so who do you think is more protected, the consumer or the companies? Or neither? That is a fantastic question. Yeah. I mean. Here in New York. You know. Well, I'll narrow it down. In New York. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one because there is no privacy law yet in okay. New York. Um, 
But, but he, are there cybersecurity guidelines? Yes. So okay. there are. The, it's the New York Shield Act, and it does say, you know, every company has to have training program, has to have an information security, you know, policies that govern how they're maintaining that data. Um, you know, I think there's a really good effort to protect consumers. Um, enforcement, I think, has been a bit slower on that. Um, but we're still so new. I mean, the California law came into effect in 2018. Um, and if you think about it, you know, pandemic hit in 2020, that slowed everything down. Um, and they're really going after the big guys right now. You know, they have to go after the large companies to make an example. Right. Um, so that's really what we're seeing now in the enforcement space. When the, it seems to me like some of the big companies, the Facebooks mm -hmm. of the world, they understand the value. Mm -hmm. They've used it the most. So they've, in turn, done the things that are the most morally offensible yes. to certain people. Yes. So that's where they like got to put a stop gap on it or something. Yes. I mean, it's the Facebooks, the Googles. That's, and even in the EU, that's who's getting hit with the huge fines. But it's they also have to like weigh it because all that data has a value to them. So yeah. they're weighing that against the fines. Oh, yeah. Well, they pay $100 million. They're like... A yeah. penny. This yeah, is a right. penny for exactly. somebody. Well, it's kind of annoying with the social media because I feel like they don't protect you whatsoever or really try to, and yet they have no problem selling your information. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's kind of, but of course you're going to still use it because you need the satisf satisfaction <laughs> of the likes. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at your story. <laughs> I want to talk a little, and we. I want to talk more about the, the privacy stuff. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It's been very educational, but... Also, like, tell us about you, like, your backstory. I know a lot of it. I think it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I know you grew up here yep. in Pittsburgh. But tell us, like, how did you get to where you are today? Okay. Uh, man, how much time do we have? Yeah. <laughs> Give us the five-minute version. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, like you said, I went to UVA for my undergrad. Um, I was American history major, government major in at UVA, which was awesome given where it is and the history cool. um, don't skip like the high school swimming i know i mean okay. you were you're a nationally known <laughs> yeah correct but you were you were really a nationally known high school swimmer yeah yes yes um recruited I loved it. I recruited loved it. by all kinds of people and like what's that like i mean it was it was awesome i loved every second of it um looking back now you know you're like oh you should have pushed yourself a little harder you know done a little bit more um I had the most fantastic coach in high school who cared about me um really famous coach really yeah. famous coach Marty Keating he's a legend um he's still coaching uh Pittsburgh girls are still winning sectionals but he made such an impact on my life. He cared about me as a person and not just as a swimmer. I was more than just a point for him in a swim meet. Um, you know, he's the one who encouraged me to go to law school as well, you know, have that in my path. Um, you know, he uh, got to know us as people, got to know like our strengths and our weaknesses, what made us anxious, all of that, and worked with us there. And I think that's why I was so successful in high school was because he truly understood me. He knew when I would get to the pool and he would sit and talk to me for two hours instead of having me swim because I needed to just talk. Um, and, you know, I realized how magical that is and how special that is to have that type of mentorship. Um, 
And I went to UVA, and I'll be completely honest with you, I did not have that at UVA. I was a swimmer to that coaching staff and nothing more. Um, And that was really hard. Um, And, you know, there was also a difference, too, about being a big fish in a small pond of Pittsburgh and then going and being a small fish in a very, very big pond at UVA um, and just losing a sense of yourself. And, um, you know, I don't talk about it a lot. I didn't love my time at UVA. Um, You know, I think I didn't love swimming as much, but I kept trying to push through that, and that just lost being, like, my safe space for me. Um, And then that translates to everything else as well. You know, that's your grades aren't doing as well if you're not as happy. Um, But as I always say, I ended up where I needed to be at Syracuse. Um, I met my husband there, and um, you know, I did really well at Syracuse. I loved law school. I would go back. You're probably going to think I'm crazy. I would go back. I did, not love, I did not love law school. <laughs> um, but I like being a lawyer. Yes. Um, well, I don't think law school and being a lawyer, like I don't think law school has anything to do with not much. Being, Get you in being a door, good though. lawyer. But yeah. you, you got to do it if you want to be a lawyer. Right. Um, so, yeah. I, Unless you're Kim Kardashian. Well, is, is, she, is she a lawyer? No, she is. Well, not yeah, yet. she passed the oh. baby bar. She but, did. Oh. So on her way. But regardless, you but, don't have to go to law school. But Kim, if you're listening, you can work here. We got a, I got a job for you. <laughs> and I'm coming over too. Yes. Kim, we'll take you to lunch. Yeah. Um. Let's talk numbers. <laughs> um, so I went to law school, really liked that. Um, when I was a summer, so I interned my 2L year at Nixon. I'm interrupting again, though. So like, I think what you just said is really... Um, I was a okay high school athlete, nothing like you. But so, what would you say to like your younger self or someone who is in your shoes? Do you wish you did it differently? I mean, I know you say you got where you needed mm-hmm. to be, but do you wish you didn't go to UVA? Do you wish you went to a different place? Um, wh- what advice would you give to a really good high school swimmer or athlete who is getting recruited by all these mm-hmm. um, schools to end up? I mean. You're living a really great life. Yes. So one of the best pieces of advice I got when I was looking at different schools was when you're on the campus, close your eyes, pretend like swimming doesn't exist. Would you still be happy? And I was at UVA. I really love the school. I have some great friends from UVA. Um, It's just the swimming career didn't end up how I wanted it to. Um, And I think looking back now, I I don't think I would change anything because I I think it really did make like who I am now. you know, I, but it's just, like, weird stuff that just, like, makes you so insecure. Like, I think I was the only Jew a lot of people on my swim team had met. Like, you know, like, I had to hide my devil horns from them. Like, they just, it was just, like, crazy. And I think it was just, I mean, yeah, I was probably sheltered growing up. I was the youngest in my family. But, um, so I, I'm glad I went and opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um but it was a really hard time, and it took a while in law school to get my confidence back. And there's still times where I'm like, you know, have that imposter syndrome. And I, I think most attorneys do. Most people have imposter syndrome. Um, but it took a long time to get my confidence back after UVA. I mean, I remember talking to you when you were thinking about not swimming your senior year. Yes. And you, I mean, that's 10, 12 years ago now. Mm-hmm that I mean I don't want to get too personal but um, you know that person right we're always talking to the Mm -hmm. people who are listening like that you 
think that was a good choice for you? Do you regret that decision now? Um, I regret, so I swam, I went back to school. So here, a little bit back up even more. I came home the summer between my junior and senior year to study for the LSAT, take the LSAT, and to do the internship at the DA's office, which was, as an undergrad, that's a huge opportunity to be able to be in the DA's office. Yeah, and we were in City Court, and like you happened, so I, Andrew Spillane was the guy in charge of the interns, uh-huh. and, and I happened to be in City Court Part 1, mm-hmm. which was like, we're intaking, for the people who don't know, we intake 1,500 cases in a month. Yep. And so when you're City Court Part 1, you get first selection of interns. And I was a history major, so so you get the first, you're like the number one draft pick. <laughs> so we get the stack, and I say, Spieling, I need some interns. What do you got? Yeah. And he gives me the stack, and I sort through. And I'm like, I was a history major, so I'm like, I pull out all the history majors. And I was an athlete. Yep. So I got, give me the history majors and give me the athletes. Yep. And I got two, and... We had a pretty good team. So yeah. you went right into the fire. And we're like, we're doing 1,500 cases. I remember that. And I remember you scribbling on the Manila folder, like notes, two seconds you before you. You could read it? Before, no, well, I could oh. I just saw the scribbles right. right before you were getting up. I remember you were right. like, oh, my God, he's thinking so fast. Work, work. <laughs> like, we're going to go, we're going to go, mm-hmm. we're going to do 1,500 cases this summer. Mm-hmm. And and you're like, yeah, it was work. I mean, yeah. this is for an under... You're like the person that's there. You're that's under, awesome. you're um, understaffed at the DA's office, mm-hmm. and it's like me. I've been a lawyer for a year and a half, and a couple undergraduates who are working for free. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. This is what we did. And, yeah. Uh, but so I came home that summer, and that was like a no-no on the swim team. You didn't go home for the summer, even though I was training at home with my coach. Um, and so then when I got back in the fall, there was just a lot of like, oh, you didn't work as hard as us. You know, you can't have the team shoes because you weren't here over the summer. Oh, you can't practice because you don't have the team shoes type thing like that. Oh, so like petty. Yeah. And, you know, the swim team that you were recruited by and the girls you were with that were older than you are now all gone. And, and the team changes. Dynamics change. Um, and so there was no one else to really be like, can you saying this to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of us suffered in silence. There things have come out afterwards that I think a lot of us were going through the same thing mentally and just not talking about it. Um, and you guys have been really successful. You had won ACC championships. Yeah. You had big ass ranks. And, and two you were, years you after. You were a really successful yep. swimmer in college. And it's like. Two years after I graduated, the entire coaching staff was booted. Wow. Um, which was like kind of cathartic but like also really hard to stomach too but um you know I think just a lot of us suffered in silence and now there appears to be an amazing coaching staff there uh the women's team won NCAAs they have like three or four Olympians on the team um so you know they're doing awesome but um yeah so I I I had to make that decision to not continue swimming my senior year um and I never thought that my last time as a swimmer would be one practice getting out and crying and just saying, I can't do this anymore. You know, I always thought it would be like that big race and I'd touch the wall and everyone would be cheering and I'd cry and that would be it. Not like going into the coach's office and being like, I'm done. And it's, I mean, it's kind of a question that we deal with all in our life and law is like, how do you identify as a person? It's such a big Mm -hmm. part of your life. And and like, who am I as a person? Mm -hmm. What do I care about? What are my values? And it's the same thing. We identify so much, I think, all the, we have lawyers on here all the time. Mm-hmm. We identify as being lawyers and 
helping people and whatever, whatever, whatever. And then like someday it's going to be over. Yep. And I was a college athlete also. And it's like, honestly, I don't miss it. Yep. I don't miss it at all. People ask me all the time if I swim. I don't. Yeah. Don't. yeah. So I played soccer and I didn't play soccer for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. I finally just started playing. So my, my uh, college roommate, Jay Marino, he's the Wayne Central varsity. Oh, wow. um, so that he took over the varsity program last winter. We, we started playing with the high school kids again. I hadn't played. He's my college roommate and my best friend. And he said, Can you come out. So 15 years later, and I'm like, okay, this is fun again. <laughs> <laughs> What we, well, talking about law yeah, school. But, so, sorry, we got distracted yeah. because yeah. I think the, that part of your life is really interesting and it sheds some light for other people. But so you go, uh, so you're like, okay, I'm going to go to law school. Yes. And how do you decide to go, where to go, and how do you end up at Syracuse? And like, take us through that a little bit. Um, so applying to law schools, uh, I think I applied like to every, everywhere, everywhere. Um, I didn't really know geography. I hadn't like thought that through where I wanted to be. Um, I always thought I would come back to Rochester. I loved growing up here. My parents are still here. Um, so, you know, getting the acceptance from Syracuse was perfect. Um, you know, I knew it was the right region. They have an awesome network too. I mean, everybody knows Syracuse basketball. Um, so that just felt like a really great fit. Um, so yeah, I, I decided to go. And I think a lot of it too was like, I still needed time to, I don't want to say grow up, but to grow up. I still needed time to like figure things out. And I thought law school afterwards right away was like a perfect opportunity for that. And um, like get some of my confidence back. I think I did, became much more like myself. Um, but it, it is crazy that, you know, like the insecurities I had swimming in college still sometimes creep in, right? Like there's still times where I'm like, like, you're not good enough for this, like, you know, and it's... I mean, I don't know what you thought. I, I do think, I said earlier, I didn't like law school, mm-hmm. but I also remember being a first year 1L and being like, I was made for this. Yeah. Like, these people are like me. Uh-huh. The, in, you know, in undergrad, we're playing sports, and it's, like, really competitive, and there's a different thing, and there wasn't, like, the always the drive on, and maybe UVA was a little different, but there wasn't so much drive on academics and there wasn't like the value in being like thinking about things at a high level where Mm -hmm. you get to law school and you're like there's a lot of people who think really hard about really weird things yeah law school made me wish that I could go back to UVA because I don't think I fully grasped like that thinking like I would love to go back and take some of the classes I took at UVA now with appreciating and not just doing it for the credits and like Mm -hmm. you know being a swimmer I would pick my classes based on like when I could squeeze a nap in as well. Like, oh, I really want to take this class with this professor, professor, but that's during nap time. Like, you know, as an athlete, you make those choices. Um, so I would love to go back now, but I agree with you, just like the thinking and like attacking things. And So you're there and you know, and you end up in Nixon. I think you were a summer there. I was a summer. Yep. yep. And so what's that for? So people who don't know or kids who are looking to be mm-hmm. summers like that's a pretty competitive process so yeah. for, tell them like Nixon's a huge law firm yeah so They're, so tell them about that and how you like what that's like so I wanted Nixon I, I know it sounds cliche but I think I wanted Nixon you know from the start um, I knew some of the attorneys who were there already um, I mean Rochester is a small town one of 
I mean, I always joke, Jared Lusk, you know yeah. Jared. Yeah. Uh, his wife was my kindergarten teacher. Then there's another attorney there, Eric Paley. His wife, or his mother was my first grade teacher. I babysat for some of the partner's kids, like, unknowing. So I always knew about Nixon, and one of the things I loved about Nixon was that it's this global law firm, but I can still be in Rochester. So I can do work for these huge companies that you're like, whoa, they're listening to me for legal advice, and then get in my car and drive 15 minutes and be home. Like, I loved that. Um, And so that's what made me look at Nixon. But then after just spending the summer there, I was like, oh, I really like the people. Like, these are people I want to be around, too. And I think, you know, you have that perception. Like, I read a lot of John Grisham. You read about, like, the gunners and, like, you know, (laughs) people, like, coming at you. And that was just not the case at all at Nixon. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked this, the summer program. It's basically like an eight-week interview. You're working for eight weeks, and um, they're judging you at every turn, um, but got the offer with them, um, which was great, having an offer going into my last year of law school and the bar exam and knowing where I'd be, um, and then started at Nixon in their commercial litigation. I thought I was going to love litigation. Um, because I loved being at the DA's office. I loved, like, I was competitive. I was like, oh, I'm going to love the adrenaline. And I hated it. I could not stand litigation. Like, it was just so stressful (laughs) all the time. Um, So after two years in litigation, there was an opening in our employee benefits. And privacy wasn't even, like, in a practice area yet, right? Like, nobody was thinking about, there was one person thinking about privacy. Kate Martinez, she has since left the firm and she's in-house and she's running the show at a very large company, their privacy internally. Um, She was thinking about it. And so she was taking me under her wing on a lot of privacy projects. And she had done a blog uh, privacy topics. So I was blogging with her and then she left the firm. And um, no, so my name was kind of associated with privacy at Nixon. So people would come to me. Um, so I would answer, you know, one-off questions. I would do an assignment here or there. Um, but I was also at that point in our benefits group because litigation was just not for me. And, you know, I'm Googling like other careers you can have with a JD (laughs) (laughs) loan forgiveness programs. Um, and a spot opened up in our employee benefits group and it was Eric Paley who I knew. Um, and I went to him and I was like, please. Like, I need to be in your group. It was transactional. And he was like, well, what do you know about employee benefits? And I was like, I have a 401k. And that is it. He was like, do you, did you take any tax classes in law school? I was like, nope, nope. Um, but I learned, and I had really great support in that group, a lot of people who helped me and taught me. Um, and all along, so I was in that group for five years, and all along I was doing privacy and security work and trying to build this practice as a baby attorney. And... Um, slowly but surely built it and uh, a few years ago was able to make that full time congrats thank you so we got to talk about jared a little bit (laughs) so we are obviously small kind of like niche custom law firm Mm -hmm. and i love jared Mm -hmm. Uh, we are not huge supporters of big law but we are big supporters of Nixon. Mm-hmm. And and so Jared was at the DA's office. Yes. And Jared is really good friends. We have some really mutual friends. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, a, in my opinion, a wonderful attorney. Um, but he is the 
leader of the Rochester yes. office yes. and on the big team at Nixon. I don't I don't know all the technical stuff, but we're all. I think what sets Nixon apart in my mind, as as somebody who's not in big law, mm -hmm. is there's a lot of people there who will pick up the phone and talk to you, yes. and they will they are normal people like mm -hmm. you describe. And and I give, um, you know, a lot of your leadership, but the one I give the credit to is Jared because that's I think that trickles down. Yes. He gives, I think, the people at Nixon give the associates and the partners there permission to not be arrogant pricks. And we deal with that a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. we go against huge law firms. I go against the biggest law firms in New York City, mm -hmm. Chicago, everywhere. And they treat me like I'm a third class citizen. Yep, and, sure. and it's like, and then we whip their ass anyway. But, that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's, so. that's one of the things I love about Nixon is like, you know, a lot of firms say, oh, we have an open door policy. Um, but I just remember like when I was a first year, um, and Megan McGuire, who's now an AUSA. Yes, she's um, a friend of ours. Yeah, so, so does uh, so does Bay Girl. Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, she's kicking butt now. But she used to like every morning would just like come talk to me and see like if I had questions about anything. And I remember one time like I had a question, like a substantive legal question, and she like pulled a book from her shelf, and I was like, a book? What? Like where online do I look? And she handed me the book. And she said, you can find the answer yourself. And I just remember being like. Okay, and like she, it wasn't malicious. She was like trying to teach me and like take the time to teach me. She could have just told me the answer and it would have been a lot quicker for her. Mm -hmm. um, but it was that kind of like mentorship that, you know, I don't think you get in a lot of, I mean, I've only ever been at Nixon, but you know, not the stereotypical big law firm. You, you know, you really get that mentorship. Yeah. And I think really high quality legal work, but in a way that people, you know, I, I think sets you guys apart. I mean it as a compliment. Um, well, we've talked a lot about law school, but so what is some advice you would give law students? It will be okay. <laughs> That's good <laughs> but advice. I think like, you know, I think a lot of law students go into law school with like one track mind. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and whether that's I'm going to go to the DA's office or I'm going to go to big law or I want to be in-house. And, like, I think you just really need to be flexible because you leave law school and you know a lot. You know how to think, which is the most important. Um, but you don't know how to be a lawyer and you don't know all the different types of law. Um, and so much of, like, my practice and what I've enjoyed, what I haven't enjoyed, like, it really depends on the people you're around, too. So, like, you can think you want to be one type of lawyer, but then you meet people and it completely different setting and yeah. it just it changes the way you think about things um so i think like be flexible and and also like just know it's going to work out <laughs> i like that the uh and that's what we, we try to talk about too is like and you were kind of hitting on it is like what kind of person do i want to be mm -hmm. and law school produces a certain mindset and they it, it's kind of antiquated in my opinion like this uber aggressive great on the curve, yes. we're all fighting, yes. you gotta be in the top 15%, and over the course of time, it will try to grind away what you were, what your parents taught you. Mm -hmm. But then, like, the really good lawyers are the ones who actually do it their own way. Mm -hmm. And you can do it a lot of different ways. You can do it loud, you can do it quiet, you can do it funny. Like, you don't have to do it, you have to learn the law and you have to do certain basic things, but you can still be yourself. Yeah. I. That is really funny because so I had a professor in law school who um, told she was a, a writing professor and she was a, a younger woman. She told all the women in the class, like, 
you want to be taken seriously, you need to wear a white blouse and a navy or a black suit, hmm. skirt suit. That's the only way you'll be taken seriously in court. And I had to take a new biopic for the Nixon website. And I wore a red blouse. And I thought of her. And I was like, they are still going to take me seriously in yes. my red blouse. Wait, there's a girl on TikTok who wears pink specifically because people have said, like, oh, you shouldn't wear that because mm -hmm. they're not going to take you seriously. And she's yeah. like, well, watch me. And I'll well, kick your ass while I do, <laughs> do it. <And laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you. The woman who will kick any lawyer's ass is Judge Kitty. Yeah, and she always wears red. Yeah, so she wears red, or, or you know, she got wears the right color. She wears around the office is her Converse All Stars, <laughs> or her her Doc Martens. That's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I like what you said too about like you have to like the person you are too. Like yeah. that's what UVA was for me is I didn't like the person that I was, and then it took me a bit to find that person again. So it's like. I wouldn't change anything with UVA. I wouldn't pick a different school because I like the person that I am now, and mm -hmm. I don't think I would be this person had it not been for that experience. So but part of the path. Yeah, yeah. But I, I agree with that. Is that you have to find the person that you like. You know, you have to make decisions that at the end of the day, like, are gonna make you happy, um, even if that's not the popular thing or what everybody's doing. So are doing. you hiring this summer? Are you on the person who hires the? Uh the kids that are coming in next I summer. I am. I am. So what advice do you give these kids that are interviewing? Oh my gosh, be yourself. Like there's nothing worse than like a rigid interviewee and like I know that's such cliche is to like be yourself. Like don't be but, like, nervous. But, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> the thing is is like I've seen your transcript. I've seen your resume. Like I read your cover letter. I don't need to know about your favorite law school class. Like I want to know like were you an athlete? Like right. what sports did you play? Your you, personality. Yes. Yes. Who what type you? of music do you like? And yeah. like I feel like sometimes we interview people that are like so taken aback that I'm asking those questions and right. um yeah, but it's like it's the people that can have a conversation with me and I always find it funny cuz like we'll recoup afterwards and people will be like, "Oh, well, you know, she really liked her legal writing class." And I'm like, "She has a golden retriever." Like yeah. <laughs> those are yeah. the questions that I'm asking, you right. know. Cuz both are really important. Mm -hmm. I yeah. agree with that. But you Part of our job is talking to people you don't know. Yes. I have to pick up the phone every day and talk to people. Mm -hmm. People, you answer the phone every day and talk to people. Mm -hmm. To do a good job in this business, you have to talk to people a lot. And mm -hmm. if you if you can't talk to you in an interview, yep. how good are you really going to be at this job? Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like I think a lot of summers come in and expect that we expect them to know the law or to be to know how to do anything. And like we know you don't know anything. And like, even if you know how to write something for law school, that's going to get you an A, like that might not be the way that Nixon does it. And even at Nixon, like, you know, there's this attorney who likes it this way, or there's another attorney that only likes things in Ariel font. And like, you have to learn that about these people, you know, right. but like, um, are you trying to figure out who it no, is? No, it's <laughs> Oh, but it's you like Times New Roman. That's what you're thinking you about. Do what that. do I Classic. like? Classic. Yeah. Um, but it's it's like so. What are we going to judge you on? Because nobody expects you to know things. But we're going to yeah. judge you on like how do you hold yourself when you walk through the office or like if you're at an attorney lunch. Like, are you able to have a conversation? Would I bring you in front of you know clients and right. and you know are you going to represent you yes. well? Yes, yes. exactly, exactly. And so good. I'm very good at talking. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? What are you working on? What's next? So we are really just working on growing the privacy practice. Which is going to grow itself because it's the most important. 
important thing in the legal industry well, for the I next so. 20 years. I think so. Well, um, everybody's just starting, right? It's mm -hmm. it's like the beginning of a thing, but it's super important to every person. Yes. I feel like there should be a social media department within privacy. I know, just for the social yeah. media, yeah. Um, so what's next is just keep on keep on chugging along, keep on keeping up with all the changes in the laws. I mean, 2023 is a big year. It's five new privacy laws in the U.S. keeping us busy. People, obviously, they can find you on the Nixon website. Yes. I know you're on LinkedIn. Yes. Under Jenny Lewis Holmes. Jenny Holmes. Jenny Lewis Holmes. What else? Where else do we find you? In my office. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm on the Nixon website. Yes. All right. Nixon, big plans for Nixon as a firm. Um, I know they've been here for 100 years. And, yeah, 100 uh, more. Here's yeah, to 100 more. Thanks for Thank you for having me. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, it sounds like you're doing wonderful, and it's really great to share everything. Yes. Uh, I mean, we didn't know a whole lot about it. Just know that you're super hard worker, super smart, and just uh, so. Well, thank you. Yeah. We called Thanks Jenna. for educating us. Yeah, this yes. is great. Yeah.